and welcome to Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people that live, work and create in Somerset. My name's Lewis Webb, and each week I'll be meeting some of the inspiring, creative and successful individuals and families that make this beautiful county their home. My guest today is marine biologist and coral conservationist Sam Reynolds. A recent arrival in Somerset, Sam has spent her career in warmer parts of the world, such as the Maldives and the Seychelles. As a resident biologist at Luxury Resorts, it's been her responsibility to research coral reefs and educate visitors about the marine ecology. Since being back in the UK, she's been reconnecting with our native flora and fauna, as well as discovering some of the Southwest beauty spots. Sam, welcome to Somerset Stories. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me here. In, uh, so we're, we're just close to the Devon border, aren't we? Yes, we are. So yeah. we're at sort of the end of Somerset before yeah. it becomes... Before it comes Devon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not your first podcast, is it? No, it's not. I had one in November, I think I recorded it. Uh, actually, when I was last home. Um, so that was via Skype with a Conservation Tribe. Um, so it was like a, a big time difference, <laughs> England to Australia. And how did that, how did that come about then? Um, so my Instagram is quite focused towards marine conservation and my work in the Maldives and most of the people I follow on Instagram are kind of in the marine conservation sector, marine research and things so I was just contacted through my Instagram page to see yeah. if I wanted to talk about corals. <laughs> is, is there a relatively connected network in your field? How do you you know share ideas and keep in touch? Yeah it is, it's really really connected. So a lot of the people that I've met have been kind of via Twitter or Instagram. It's one of the best ways to keep up to date on the most recent research, find out what people are doing in other areas of the world. So yeah, it's a kind of social media has been a great platform for meeting other people, and it's kind of how we've how I've met a lot of the marine biologists at other resorts in the Maldives as well. Your connection with Somerset is quite recent. Yes. How have you ended up here? So I grew up in Surrey, so about 30 minutes by train outside of London, so I spent my whole life and my parents recently retired and they've been looking for a property in the southwest um, for quite some time, for a few years. They originally looked at, were looking at Cornwall, that's where we went on holiday as kids and um, when my mum grew up going on holiday as well, but they decided it was a bit too far from where my mum's parents live in London, so Somerset was like a great kind of balance between the two. Um, so yeah, now we're here and my parents are enjoying their, enjoying their retirement and spending lots of time doing up the garden and, and things. So, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a beautiful old farmhouse. Um, yeah. you, you said that you don't know too much about no, the history of it. I don't know a lot of history about it. I do know that it was built sometime in the 1600s. I think there was an extension put on um, for the kitchen in like the 1900s. Um, it was part of a much bigger farm that's now been split up and the family who kind of owned it still live. Oh, over the road actually, so still very close. So still, it's very much part of the, you know, the village's yeah. history itself. Yeah. Fantastic. What kind of drew them to this particular place? Was it was it the house or was it the the location? Was it kind of a combination of things? Uh, it was a combination of things. Um, they had looked at some more kind of newer builds, um, but my parents love a project. And this was definitely a project because not only have we got the main farmhouse, but we've got a coach house as well that was converted into kind of like a holiday sort of let off like overflow accommodation. So that's allowed them to kind of do up the coach house and they've 
advertising that on Airbnb now. And yeah, they've also got like a lot of work to do inside the farmhouse as well. And the garden's pretty big, so <laughs> they're, they're being kept busy. I don't think they'd have liked to have had like a you know a house that was ready to go and with nothing to do. Um, yeah, they enjoy a bit of a project. Good. So you mentioned this is not your first kind of exposure to the West Country. You used to visit on family holidays. What what memories do you have of that time? Um, well, we used to spend a lot of time in North Cornwall, and it holds a very special place in my heart. I love I love the Cornish coast, um, and yeah, I remember we spending a lot of time around Polzeth area, rock pooling with my granddad and my dad, um, which kind of introduced me to marine biology a little bit more. Um, it's actually, when I look back, it's quite strange that I did end up going into marine biology because my dad used to scare me with fish in buckets. So <laughs> if anything, I should have steered well clear, but um, I've ended up kind of going down that route anyway. What, he would make you, he would surprise you with? No, with he it? would hold the bucket with the fish or with a crab in it and just kind of like jerk it and go no. and like make me jump. So <laughs> I'd fall for it every single time. Um, did you spend a lot of time in the water? Were you kind of naturally yeah, like a water I, baby? Yeah, big water baby. Always love spending time in the water, whether that's swimming in a pool or kind of just jumping waves at the beach. Um, and then I learned to surf when I was like 15. Um, and since then I've kind of been in and out of the water. Well, ever since and um, I didn't learn to dive until I was in my early 20s um, but yeah there's not, nowhere I'd love to be more than in the water. You've sort of moved to a slightly warmer seas than the North Cornwall. Yes. Um, <laughs> I also went, went and spent a lot of time down there as a kid and don't really remember the water being cold. I think as a child you're kind of immune to it slightly, you're just kind of more excited to, to be there. Um, but having kids now, uh, yeah, taking them to a, a beach in April, you're sort of like, well, I'm not really sure I want to go to the water at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the water in Cornwall is, is always a shock when I go back in now, um, but I spent the best part of the last five years in the Indian Ocean, um, both in the Maldives and the Seychelles. So I work at Five Star Luxury Resorts as a marine biologist. Uh, my first role um, was more guest focused, so taking guests out on snorkeling excursions or sunset dolphin cruises and having a really great kind of um, time to interact with people and talk to them about marine life, conservation, um, kind of threats that the environment and particularly coral reefs are being impacted by. Uh, and now at the resort I work at at the moment, I manage a reef restoration program. So we have essentially a, a coral farm um, where we grow corals and they take about nine to 12 months to be large enough to then plant back out onto the reef. Um, in 2016, there was a really big bleaching event which was brought on by uh, the seasonal El, El Nino, where the hot water sits off um, the west coast of the Americas and it causes an increase in the water temperatures around the globe. Um, so the corals have an algae that lives inside them that they use to photosynthesize, so to get energy or their food from the sun. And when the water gets too hot, that relationship breaks down. The corals get rid of the algae, it lo loses all of its color and they go white, which is why we call it coral bleaching. Right. Um, I want to dig into that in a little bit more yeah. detail <laughs> later on. Um, after your kind of early days in the, the West Country, you returned to this part of the world, uh, or a little further west, um, for university. Yes. I did did. You have a clear picture of want, what you wanted to do when you when you headed there? Yes, 
Um, well, in, in a sense, yes. Um, I knew I wanted to do conservation of wildlife. My course is actually mostly geared towards terrestrial habitats. So I spent a lot of time exploring the Cornish environment, not just on the coast, but inland as well, in the salt marshes and things. And it wasn't until later on in my degree that I decided that I wanted to at least give marine biology a go. So I headed out to the Bahamas for a year, learnt to dive, carried out a lot of um, coral reef surveys to assess the health of the reef out there. And I just completely fell in love with coral and diving and being in much warmer water. <laughs> <laughs> Does science and conservation run in the family? Is it something that you were encouraged into or you sort of found by yourself? Um, I think having a appreciation for the natural world was in my family. Um, my grandparents have always grown vegetables in their garden and because they like spending a lot of time out in their garden tending to their flowers and the vegetables, um, I think they've always had an appreciation for well, British birds. So I was introduced to birds by my grandparents when I was very young and then also with kind of exploring in the rock pools and, and those sort of things. But science doesn't really run in my family at all that I've been exposed to um, so yeah it's something I found on my on my own I fell in love with geography at school um, particularly learning about different ecosystems um, so that's I think what helped to kind of lead me in that direction so it's more of a, an appreciation for the natural world yeah but not the the science of it and you've kind of taken it to the yeah. the next step as yeah it exactly were. you mentioned the Bahamas as being kind of the the turning point for you. Did you have any other kind of considerations at, at that point? Were there other options on the table? Did you, was it sort of a fork in the road for you? It was a little bit of a fork in the road. My plan was to go to the Bahamas for three months on a gap year project. So you just kind of sign up as a volunteer for anywhere from four weeks to, to ten weeks. Um, and I wanted to go and learn to dive and kind of just dip my toe in kind of that, that field of conservation. Um, my other option was like, depending on how I enjoyed the Bahamas and diving and things that are so new and I think so many people dive and don't enjoy it because it's quite a strange experience being able to breathe underwater um, but if it hadn't worked out then my other option was to go and become a, um, a safari guide because I absolutely love elephants they're my favourite animal over anything that I find in the ocean African elephants are my absolute favourite so I was kind of toying with the idea of perhaps researching yeah. elephants. I hadn't really expected for things to turn out the way they did from the Maldi uh, yeah. from the Bahamas. And from there it really did snowball. Um, I came back and I got a job at the London Aquarium. So that was another kind of guest facing role with a lot of education and talking about a lot of the marine life that we have in the exhibits there. And that led me on to yeah, other things, doing a master's yeah. degree and yeah. kind of following that. Marine life is uh, a topic or an area of science where, you know, because we don't encounter it every day, there's a lot of kind of mystery to it. Mm. What are the ways in which you make it make sense for the you know, normal person who doesn't dive, who doesn't kind of spend their time confronted with the world underwater? Yeah, it's, it can be tricky. I think that the BBC have done great work towards introducing people to a and a, a totally different world. And um, we actually know more about space than we do the ocean. So it is like a, an alien frontier and we're still learning so much all the time. 
um, but it can be difficult to have people relate to things that they're not encountering every single day and you find that a lot of people don't have an emotional connection to say a fish like you would like a tiger or an elephant or you know, something that's fluffy and you can you can relate to more um, being that they're also mammals so um, kids are a great gateway into talking to their parents about the ocean because um, kids are fascinated by anything that's new um, and yeah a lot of the approach you take or that I've taken is people like to eat fish and it's actually the first step is making them aware of sustainably sourced um, fish rather than choosing kind of you know just a tin of tuna to look for something something more So in the time since then, you have travelled to some of the world's most beautiful places. Have there been some points where you've had to pinch yourself and think, this is actually my job? Yes, definitely. Um, especially before the bleaching event. So I first went to the Maldives in 2015. And there were times where I just had my breath taken away because everywhere you look, there's live coral, there's thousands of fish swimming on the reef, or you're out on a boat at sunset and you've got hundreds of spinner dolphins cruising at the bow and um, yeah sometimes it's you don't believe that that's your job at all. <laughs> you've, you've been able to kind of document some of that as well with your Instagram that you mentioned yeah. um, before uh, and there is there's some pretty impressive underwater photography. Um, that's been a hobby or something that you've kind of had training in? That's definitely a hobby I've not had any training um, in it at all. I think when you're when you're seeing so many interesting and beautiful weird sometimes ugly things underwater you want to be able to share that with other people and if you add to that the passion i have for the marine environment and conservation and raising awareness um instagram has provided like the perfect platform to share that um so yeah i've had some really cool encounters seeing whale sharks manta rays and yeah, I've wanted to be able to document that and, and have it for my records, yeah. but also open it up to other people as well. Is it the big animals that kind of are the most memorable? Not for me. The big animals are what other people can connect to. When you um, speak to people, they want to see dolphins, whales, sharks, turtles, rays. Um, but I actually like the really little things. I love the invertebrates. There's a group of animals called nudibranchs, which are sea slugs and they're the most beautiful slugs in the world. <laughs> and they're not like your garden slugs, they're really colourful. Some of them are only a couple of millimetres long, some of them might be a few centimetres. Um, so half of the kind of the joy of them is actually the, the challenge in finding them. So yeah, I like spending, a, like diving, or like an, an hour dive on a small patch of reef rather than going in search of sharks. <laughs> but they are really awesome to see and they do take your breath away. But my feeling is that once you've seen a shark, you've seen a shark. <laughs> so what does what does a typical week look like for you, um, or at least when you're in the Maldives? So, yeah, it looks a little bit different to how it does now. But um, yeah, well, if, even on a day-to-day, -day, I would spend um, at least the morning or the afternoon in the water. That could be um, 
conducting coral bleaching surveys. Just before I left the Maldives to come home because of COVID, um, we were just entering into the period where the water starts to warm up. It gets very calm, a lot less windy, and we could be entering into a bleaching event. So we would go and um, survey the reef and kind of colour match um, corals to a card and to see the progression of the bleaching event. So we would do that once a week at four different sites around the island. Uh, we could go and collect coral fragments that have broken off um, due to fish kind of trying to get snails or worms out of um, the coral colony itself, um, or they're just kind of on a rubble area that's not very stable. And we pick those up and put them out on our coral nursery um, so that later we could then put them back out onto the reef. Um, talking to guests, um, is a quite a big part of it. Um, we want to raise awareness for what not only what we're doing at the resort, but the issues surrounding kind of tourism, tourism on the whole, um, and just generally what the world is facing at the moment due to the climate crisis. And um, so it's very varied, and sometimes things could pop up, like we'll get a phone call from a local fisherman or from one of our security guards that they've seen an entangled turtle in a fishing in a ghost fishing gear. So we'll have to go out get the turtle kind of cut it free from the fishing net, assess its injuries, see if it can dive um, and decide whether it's safe to release it or if we have to take it back to the island and then contact the turtle rehab centres around the Maldives, see if they can take it to put it through rehab and get it to a point where it can be released. Yeah, so even around the Maldives, there's lots of different other marine life kind of specialists that you have yeah, to work with and kind of yeah. build a network with. Which is really great. We've got um, organisations that focus on turtles, uh, we've got the Manta Trust that um, focus on manta rays. We've got the Maldives Whale Shark Research Programme conducting research on whale sharks. So there's some really interesting um, projects that are going on. I want to spend a little bit of time getting your expert knowledge on coral itself. Mm -hmm. What makes coral so important to, uh, to life in the ocean, but to you know, our world in general? Coral reefs are the largest living organisms in the world. They're made up of minute little creatures called polyps and they form these calcium carbonate skeletons which then form the reef. Um, those reefs are home to about 25% of all marine life but coral reefs only make up about 0.1% of the ocean floor so it's actually a pretty small ecosystem when you think of the size of the ocean um, but they play a really strong part in the life cycle of a lot of animals that you know humans like to eat. Um, whether that's the larvae of fish spending time on the reef before then going out into the open ocean um, or the other way around. Um, so they're really important for food security, not just for us in the Western world, but also for the countries that they border. And not just for the food security, they're also really important for um, coastal protection. They absorb a lot of the energy from kind of wave action and help to reduce flooding. And they produce a lot of oxygen because there's a lot of the algae that lives there and they're stunning. <laughs> so even just like how beautiful they are, we don't want to lose them. They're just really important ecosystems to have. And so you, you mentioned a little bit about some of the threat to them. Is it primarily uh, climate or are there other threats to coral? So we break down the threats to coral reefs into local threats and global threats. So the climate crisis would be a global threat because it's happening all around the world and everyone contributes to it. But local threats might be um, like pollution, um, like sewage runoff um, or like coastal um, construction um, in terms of like dredging. 
So in the Maldives, the government have allowed a lot of dredging or land reclamation to take place. And this has had a huge impact on some of the reefs, particularly in the central area of the Maldives, where a lot of kind of the business stuff kind of happens. So a lot of the reefs have been lost because they've been covered in sand to be turned into more land. So yeah, there's not just kind of one thing that is affecting coral reefs, it's like this whole combination that piles extra stress onto the stress they already have. Have you noticed visitors becoming more interested in conservation uh, in your time in the Maldives? Yeah, definitely. Blue Planet 2, I think, had a big impact on that because people became more aware of the plastic situation with there being a lot of pollution in the ocean. The BBC did a really great job of just kind of like integrating it rather than overtly saying plastic pollution is an issue. There was just plastic in a lot of the shots that they had taken, a lot of the stories that they were telling. I think that's a really clever way of kind of making people more aware of it without them really being super aware of it at the time. And then, yeah, from that, I think then there's been a lot of news about the coral bleaching and in the news and people just being a lot more kind of exposed to these issues. And I also think that a lot of, there's been a lot more noise about it. Um, I, you know, social media's had a really big, yeah, just a, played a really big part in kind of exposing a lot more people to these things. So we do get our guests asking us questions, specific questions about what's been going on. Do we see a lot more bleaching, how long does the coral take to come back and just asking a lot of different questions than they would have asked previously. There's a lot more interest there and wanting to know more which has been really great to see especially a lot of these people you know could be their first time ever being on a coral reef or being exposed to these kind of creatures so um, it is opening up these different ecosystems to like a much wider audience which has been really great. Coral preservation seems very distant uh, to Somerset um, and the people here. So what, what can people do in their daily lives that will have an effect on uh, coral reefs themselves? Um, I don't even think we have to do things with the thought of how we can save coral reefs. We have such incredible marine ecosystems right on our doorstep here. So a lot of the things that we do will to directly kind of have a much more positive impact on the UK ecosystems will actually then have a knock-on effect elsewhere. It's just becoming more aware of what we do in our day-to-day -day lives and reducing the amount of plastic that we use or because only about 11% of all plastic ever created has been recycled, which is a crazy statistic considering that in the last you know, 20 to 30 years we've been using plastic in a completely different way that it was designed to be used. Some things of um, like food containers have maybe a 10, 10 minute life. You know, you buy it from the shop, you buy a lunch or your salad in a plastic box from the shop and then 10 minutes later after you've eaten it, you're just putting it back in the bin. Um, so it's finding ways that you can have a, a more positive impact on the environment. But I also think that if you're just aware of what we have here and just have that appreciation for nature and how it has a positive impact on our life, then it just drives you to want to do more to help everywhere. Um, but obviously like the climate crisis is affecting not just coral reefs but ecosystems the world over and although individually we may feel that we can't have a big impact and it isn't the individual that is having the biggest impact it is these big kind of corporations so you can partner reducing your meat consumption with also lobbying your local MP to um, you know 
take your concerns or take these big issues to Parliament so that our government have or will do more for the climate crisis on the larger scale. So you've also picked up uh, another part of the West Country culture in that you are a surfer. Yes. That happened when you were 15, you mentioned? Yeah. Yeah. So what have been kind of your favourite surfing spots in, in the UK and also abroad? Um, so in the UK, I love um, Perrinporth and Gadrivi. Um, and more recently, kind of Polzeth and Newquay. They're really fun longboard waves. So I like to longboard rather than shortboard. It's just a lot, I don't know, it's just a lot more relaxed and cruisy and easier to catch waves um, than on a shortboard. Um, it's really cold though. And having been away for, you know, five years surfing in warm weather and warm water, um, surfing in a wetsuit in Cornwall is <laughs> not made it down there this time yet. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, it would be nice to before I, I kind of set off again. Um, but overseas, um, there's some great waves in the Maldives, which a lot of people don't realise. Um, they're kind of seen as this like honeymoon or anniversary destination. Um, but there are some really fun waves there, um, kind of totally different kettle of fish, kind of you're on reef breaks, so there's like an, a, a a level of danger there from hitting the reef or stepping on sea urchins. Um, I think my absolute favourite place to surf is in Sri Lanka um, because well, the waves are just really fun and yeah, it's just a really great place to go. Conservation and respect for nature is a, is a huge part of surf culture as well. Yeah. Um, as someone who is working or active in, in both of those areas, you must get to see that probably more than, than most. Yeah, I think that surfing um, and being in the ocean in that way, the ocean has a, a really great way of humbling you because you're totally at the mercy of the waves and there's so much that you have to consider. And I interact with the ocean surfing in a completely different way than I would when I'm snorkeling. Um, you're a, I feel like you're in a lot more control when you're snorkeling because you know, you go out when it is really calm and when the current is low, when the visibility is like really good so you can see what you're doing. But when you surf, you kind of want, you don't want the ocean to be nice. You need to have like a bit of kind of a kick in it so that you can get those good waves. Um, so I'm not the best surfer. I'm really good at underwater barreling. So <laughs> I get, I, you know, get tossed around quite a lot in the waves. Um, and I think, you know, kind of spending time in the water with other surfers, you, you know, they could be, you know, Kelly Slater level and they will have the same, a similar experience to what you have. They've, they've been where you've been. They have the same respect for the ocean. They know that the ocean can just switch like in an, in an instant and be really friendly to kind of being really gnarly and like you don't really want to be in the wrong spot. Um, so in terms of like, kind of surfing going hand in hand in conservation, I think because you've got a much deeper connection with the ocean when you surf, um, you're more attuned to like what's going on underneath as well. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of surf, not just in the UK, but in the tropics or places like Australia and South Africa, where you do have like an extra element of awareness for the ocean in terms of there are sharks around as well. Um, I think that the perception is that surfers fear sharks, but I don't think that is strictly true. I think we have a kind of quite a deep respect for sharks and are aware that the media have portrayed them in a very negative light over the years. And, you know, the whole thing is that you're going into their habitat, you're going into their territory. So 
you have to respect that and kind of know when to go in and when maybe to skip surfing for the day. Have you had any close encounters while you've been surfing? No, I haven't luckily. Um, I did have a surf in Australia where like my marine biology brain was having an argument with my kind of child brain in that, you know, you, you, you grow up being taught or kind of hearing and learning that sharks are man-eaters and they're bloodthirsty and they want to eat you. Um, and I was in this spot and someone had said like, oh, there's a shark scene here a couple of days and you know, the water's a bit murky, it was like really cloudy and, and you know, half of me's going, oh my gosh, it's really sharky, I don't want to be out here, what if I get bitten by a shark? And then like, the marine biology side of me is like, no, but sharks don't want to eat humans, like we're not the top of their menu, they like eating fish, it's all mistaken identity and yeah, just having this battle, it was a really interesting experience because I've been in the water with sharks, I've dived with sharks, I've snorkeled with them, but think kind of being on the surface and not really being able to see what's underneath you kind of has the element of like the fear of the unknown. So for the last few months, because of COVID, you've not been in the Maldives. Um, in fact, so the nearest coral reef is what, over 2000 miles away? Yeah, probably, probably yeah. <laughs> um, what does a coral biologist do uh, in Somerset? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a bit strange because it all happened very quickly that I was coming home and the resort closed and is still closed for the foreseeable future. Um, so, yeah, coming back to the UK has been an interesting experience. Um, but since my parents moved here last summer, I have been wanting to kind of reconnect with British nature again. Um, I, my undergrad, as I said, was, you know, very terrestrially based, but also very kind of UK based. And I've not been kind of working in this environment for a really long time or since I did my undergraduate degree. So it's been really cool to come home and just start noticing things and kind of stepping over like two different seasons. It's been great to see how everything around us has changed in that time. You kind of see some plants disappear and others emerging. And um, ones I'm most excited about is the blackberries, which are kind of coming soon. Um, the changes in kind of the insect population and, and we had birds nesting um, in the garden a few months ago, which was really cool. Um, and we've been foraging. So, you know, I've made wild garlic butter, we've made elderflower cordial. So it's been really cool to just delve right back in and try and see what I remember and um, kind of brushing up on a few different kind of species that I recognise but can't quite remember the name of and um, yeah just kind of really get involved back in kind of UK nature again. As a relative newcomer to Somerset what what has struck you about the area and how different it is to where you were brought up? It's quiet it's really quiet, which is so lovely. Um, you can sit out in the garden and all you can hear is the sheep at the bottom um, or the cows over the road. It's not, um, you don't have the sirens or the constant traffic or you know, people on mopeds kind of screeching down the road, which is, yeah, it's really lovely. Um, it's also great that you know, there's farm shops everywhere so we can get fresh local produce really easily which is more like yeah it's become more important to me than I realise being able to do that I think being aware of my carbon footprint and um, kind of the, the travel miles that your food does is um, yeah being in Somerset makes that really easy to cut down on those kind of things as well one of the highlights has been we've got a, a dairy or a cow farmer over the road. I'm not sure if it's dairy or not, but um, he brings his cows from the field up the road 
all the way back to the cow shed. So we'll get like a text asking us to close our the gate to our driveway and then watch the cows kind of run down the road, which has been really cool. It's sort of a unique part of that yeah. country life. That yeah, definitely. Used, well, certainly wouldn't get in London or, or the Maldives. Yeah. <laughs> Um, usually when you move to an area, uh, you might want to kind of explore and find new places. And that's obviously not been possible um, because of the current um, situation. Have you started making a list or made plans? Is there anywhere that sort of definitely want to head to once things are more back to relative normality? Yeah, definitely. We've kind of ventured to a couple of beaches. So I've been to Burton Bradstock, which has been really lovely. Um, quite strange that I need to go through three counties to get there. Um, so going through Somerset, Devon and Dorset. Um, but yeah, I would love to see a little bit more. Um, I kind of grew up knowing or knowing about the tours um, down in this part. So it'd be quite cool to go and see some of the tours um, and do a few walks there. Um, I'd love to go to Cheddar Gorge. Um, there's a, a circular like hiking route around the Tar Steps, which would be really cool as well. Um, and I am definitely due for some rock pooling. So I've heard that Kilve Beach is quite good for rock pooling up in the north of Somerset. So yeah, there's definitely a list that is getting longer and longer the more I kind of discover about the area. Sam, we're now going to play Somerset Levels, uh, which is our original game here at Somerset Stories where we have locations around Somerset and you have to guess whether the next location will be higher or lower than the previous um, in terms of its altitude above sea level. Sounds good. You want to give it a go? Yeah. <laughs> our, our record holders are currently um, Ian Thomas and Safir Shah who got four. Uh, so it's not, it's not the easiest game. No. <laughs> um, but we'll see how far you go. The first location we have is the Royal Crescent in Bath, which is 185 feet. So do you think the next location will be higher or lower? Higher. It is higher. Catherine Street, which is in Froome. Have you been to Froome? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, 325 feet. That's the top of Catherine Street. Okay. It is a big hill. Yeah. So the bottom will be, will be significantly lower. Uh, all right, next location, higher or lower than Catherine Street at 325 feet? I'm going to go with lower. Uh, it is lower. Borough Mump which is a little hill, a hillock, in the middle of the levels, and it's only 79 feet above sea level. Well, then I think the next one's definitely higher. <gasps> oh, I'm sorry, oh, but it's no. not. <laughs> Clevedon Pier, which is basically at sea level, yeah. so, so zero feet. Um, but you did get two. Well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> which puts you in second place at the moment, uh, depending on when I, when I edit this. Worse, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, before we go, where can people find out more about you, about the work that you're doing? What are some of the resources people might want to check out if they are interested in, in knowing more? Um, you can find me on Instagram at seabesideme. And there's a heap of information um, about the Maldives, like the Seychelles, if you kind of uh, scroll through there. And more recently, some of my findings that I've uh, seen around Somerset, which has really been really nice. So, yeah you can check me out on Instagram. <laughs> Brilliant. Sam, thank you so much for your time and for, uh, for welcoming Somerset Stories to your home. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. You can subscribe on Spotify, Google, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Somerset Stories or email us 
hello at somersetstories.com. See you next time.